This is Geeks and Jacks. Welcome back to Geeks and Jacks, episode 180, recording in the early hours of Groundhog Day, February 22nd, 2024. This is Ryan Sullivan, glad to have you here. As stated before, this podcast is on podcasters.spotify.com. You can also find us on Radio Public and Google Podcasts. So head on down to those places, search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. Now, while it is Groundhog Day, one of the things I'll talk about is a game that had a little special day of its own on that day 30 years ago. Talk about box office weekend talk potential Super Bowl prediction and one or two other things here for this episode so let's jump straight to boxofficemojo.com and talk about the top 10 because the top 5 well let's just say nothing changed like, seriously, nothing changed. And there was no newcomers for the most part. I mean, there was one that was in the top 20, but it only made like a million dollars. So let's get to it. Starting with Mean Girls at number one again. $6.9 million last weekend. Looking at the numbers as of the end of January, the 31st, 61.9 domestic and 22.6 internationally, so sitting at almost $85 million. And so far, it seems like it's doing pretty reasonably. Moving in to number two, not too far off behind, the Beekeeper, which made six point six million, holding its own a little bit. Forty-three point six domestic and sixty-one point nine, reaching over a hundred five million worldwide. Its drop was 22.4 percent from the pre- from the previous weekend. Number three, still going at 5.6 million. Wonka didn't have a huge drop, which is saying something. Where it stands now, 196 million domestic, 357.3 internationally. 553 million worldwide. It's crazy to think that this is still going strong after almost two months in theaters. Hard to imagine. The one that had the least percentage of a drop is at number four, and that is migration at 4.8 million. 101.8 million domestic, 105.4 internationally, sitting at 207 million overall. There really isn't anything new for kids that's coming out, so I can't imagine any other big choices but, but this. Number five, anyone but you, 4.6 million over the weekend. Looking at 72.3 domestic and 55.8 internationally. Pretty comfortable number for a romantic comedy, 128.2 million worldwide. Curious to see what the numbers are over this weekend and the next weekend. 
not expecting anything grand out of it, but for what is supposed to be a romantic film and Valentine's Day a couple weeks away. Number six, Poor Things. So this keeps expanding more and more into theaters. It's up to 2300 now, and it made 2.9 over the weekend. And this is a film that's been out for almost two months, and only within the last couple weeks has it expanded into more and more theaters. This is one of those films, I think, they're trying to get into many theaters, or at least to the best of their ability in terms of distribution, because of it being award season coming up, and this being in some big categories for the time being. Number seven, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom at 2.7. 118.6 domestic, 294.6 internationally, just over 413 million worldwide. Number 8, Godzilla minus 1. So this was a huge jump from 18th last weekend to to, to number 8. A 290% increase from where it was, I guess, last weekend. So 2.7, sitting at 56.1 domestic and 48.9 internationally. This has been out for two months. I want to see what its numbers were. So this was... I don't get it. Something must be up to bring it to 2,000 theaters after the the weekend prior, the uh, 19th. It was only in 500 theaters, and the numbers didn't look all that good. I don't know if there's just interest, or they try to bring the film back to some reasonable numbers or something along that line, but yeah. Number nine, American Fiction at 2.5 million. So this is another film that's been out for well over a month, month and a half. Only made 12.4 million so far overall. It's one of those films that hasn't been in many theaters. It probably is in kind of the same situation as Poor Things, if I had to guess on all this. So, I mean, I don't really have too much else to say. I mean, I get... And rounding out the top ten, Night Swim just barely making it to 2 million over the weekend sitting at 27.1 domestic and 14.6 internationally just getting to over 40 million as it stands right now and like I said at the start of talking about the top 10 for this past weekend the way I look at it, because the, the drop in weekend earnings, the lowest out of the top five was Migration, followed by Anyone But You, then Wonka, then Beekeeper, then Mean Girls. The way I look at it, and maybe this could be interpreted in different ways, but with nothing really out and Historically, January is not exactly the greatest time to put out a movie. Sometimes you'd be surprised with the results, but with 
there being really nothing to catch people's eyes, maybe there's a thing where, hey, I saw this movie last week, there's nothing new, here's a movie that I thought about seeing, maybe I'll go see it this upcoming weekend. And I could see that being the case, potentially, and when you look at Wonka and Migration, these are these are family films. There's not really any family films out that are current, for the most part. And then you look at someone like Beekeeper, there's probably still some people that are wanting a little bit of an action film, or just big fans, Jason Statham. Obviously, the name of New Girl... Not New Girls, not Mean Girls. Probably helps with bringing forth kind of the notoriety that the film has. And really just, really the original to this one being a uh, based on the musical. And then the Anyone But You, I mean, people just wanting... You know, something romantic. And there's not really anything I feel that is like romantic that's really catching people's attention spans. I don't really think there's much coming out. I mean, The Chosen came out yesterday. I think that's a TV show. Uh, Anything. Only one film coming out nationwide, and that is the Matthew Vaughn film, Argyle. The limited films include Departing Seniors, Disco Boy, The Monk and the Gun, Fitting In, Scrambled, Somewhere Quiet, some film that doesn't have a title yet, and Skin Deep. With... Like I said, Argyle being the only film to to be nationwide. And this is a film that I think I feel like it's gonna be on on a streaming service the same day. And there is definitely a love for Matthew Vaughn and the type of type of films that he does right now it's not exactly not exactly impressing people panned right now for the most part and that, I mean this is considering you know the cast you know that includes like Henry Seville Bryce Dallas Howard Sam Rockwell, John Cena. I I heard it's a really expensive movie. I, f- I feel like I heard like two hundred million. At least that's what I heard. So this really needs to. Imp- yeah, two hundred million. I, I just. I'm not sure people are gonna bite on it. I really don't think they. I don't, don't. I don't think this is going to be a huge hit. I mean, but things can happen. I mean, people like the Kingsman films. Other stuff include a 60th anniversary release of My Fair Lady. A AXCM Paprika Satoshi Confest. I'm assuming that's like a concert. Just taking a brief look. No? It's a R-rated animated film. Huh. <laughs> oh man, this is wild for a plot. When a machine that allows therapists to enter their patients' dreams is stolen, all hell breaks loose. Only a young female therapist, Paprika can stop it. Or Propica? I don't know how you would say it. I don't know what how you would pronounce it. 
and the other film, Perfect Days. And that's considering we got a lot of wide releases coming out next week, which include Popular Theory, Skin Deep getting its nationwide release, Float, Lisa Frankenstein, which seems like a weird film. And Turning Red, which is the, I believe, the Pixar film that came out, I want to say two years ago. And this is the Pixar film that was put on Disney+. Plus. I feel like, I feel like this was the film that start, we started seeing, like, the complaints from some people that worked in Pixar and saying it's you know, how ridiculous it was that their films, which at that point, people still had faith in Pixar a bit being put on to Disney Plus, unfortunately. So, I want to look at some of the numbers because this does have numbers internationally. So, the number of this is from March of 2022. So, this never got... So, this has come out in parts of Europe, but not huge parts. So, no France, no Germany, no Spain... No Middle Eastern countries, not even any, not even a ton of parts in Africa. Managed to come out in the Ukraine, which is surprising, June of 2022, considering four months after the after the war began. Only three markets in Asia Pacific, not even in Japan or any other, which you'd think would have happened because the pandemic even though it was still in full force it was definitely on the down I don't know what else really to say on that I mean Soul didn't do didn't do Jack and I'm kind of optimistic that this film will even do anything either. I don't think it's going to draw enough interest. But stranger things have happened. A lot of stranger things have happened. So I can't really see anything. We'll, we'll have to see what happens a couple weeks from now when we talk about this film. Moving on to to sports. Talk about the championship games for the for the NFL. So we'll start with the first one that happened, Kansas City and Baltimore. A pretty tight game after the first few drives of of the game. The most part, fourteen seven, then seventeen seven, and basically back and forth. No team looking all that great. Seventeen ten, Kansas City goes to their fourth Super Bowl in five years. Baltimore, their first championship game appearance since twenty twelve, and they're left wondering what happens next. Pat Mahomes, two forty one, one score, no picks. Isaiah Pacheco, 68 yards and a score. Travis Kelsey, who I didn't even know he, in that point in the in the game, he broke the record for most catches in a career postseason. In, in the postseason for their career. He led all Chiefs receivers, 116 yards, and he had the touchdown. On the other side, Lamar Jackson, 272, one score, one pick. He led the rushing with 54 yards. Gus Edwards, 
as far as backs go, 20 yards. And I'll get to that in a second. Zay Flowers led the receiving with 115 in the score. He wound up getting a taunting penalty at one point. I'm going to look at something else as well. Let's see what we got here. Pretty equal on both sides. Baltimore having more yards. Chiefs doing better in terms of third down efficiency. A lot of penalties on Baltimore's side. A couple fumbles in the game by the by the Ravens, one of which was by Lamar, I believe. Just ugly, ugly football. And that's that's uh, it's hard to fathom. Let's see, save flowers. I feel like he taunted, taunts them, fumbles. <laughs> oh man, negated a fifty-four yard completion. cost them did he have was was that a touchdown though but to get to that point who is to blame for the for the Ravens loss that's what some people are trying to to figure out who was at fault Because more than likely, I mean, Lamar Jackson is a surefire candidate to be the MVP of the league this year. I think the next thing, his competition, I think, will come down to probably, if I had to guess, Christian McCaffrey. That's what I'm assuming. And this team was probably the best that they were going to have in terms of winning a Super Bowl. They played really good defense throughout the year. They ran the ball really well. And Jackson himself Jackson himself had probably his best passing season. Not so much touchdowns, but his completions, the completion rate, and the amount of yards he threw. He had what you could argue his best passing season. I just want to see where are we? Show show Ravens drives. Show full play by play. I just want to look at when that happened with the uh, fumble. Because, I mean, obviously that shifted momentum at a point when that happened. Say flowers. Where are you? I just want to see where the, where the fumble was. That's all I'm going to say. Where is it? Let's see, see. And this was a game that had that had Mark Andrews come come back and tap. Didn't really that didn't really help much. Seriously. Let's see. Around the goal line. Okay, this is first quarter. Excuse me for just... I just want to see... Was that a 54-yarder that resulted in a touchdown? Because there's a lot of things going on about whether or not there's things being rigged in the in the NFL and all that. And just... 
you know, just one of those type of things. And there's definitely, I think people are getting sick of the Chiefs. It's basically the equivalency of what a lot of people saw with with New England. They, for the most part, I think, have become pretty hated. I think Taylor Swift being there at games and the whole thing with Travis Kelsey, that doesn't exactly... That doesn't exactly make things better. Probably the closest you're going to see, from what I understand, is uh, to her being at the Super Bowl and all that and whatnot. And so, I'm just trying to find what I'm looking for, and I can't. I can't find it. When was that fumble? Because he had a... Because Jackson had an interception late in the game. Okay, here it is. Fourth quarter. Start of the fourth quarter. Pass complete for 54 yards. So... Okay, it wouldn't have been a touchdown. Let's see, Baltimore 36. Okay, so 54 yards. Would have been at the 10. He gets the penalty. Okay. That's that's what I was thinking. Yeah, sorry for the lengthy delay on that, but it's just... Considering all the things going on with with Kansas City and all that, I mean, Baltimore shot themselves in the foot. They really shot themselves in the foot, and there's nothing to blame. Blame the coordinator, too, by the way. I mean, eight rushes by the running backs? That is the bread and butter of Baltimore, their running game. And they'll definitely be looking at things and finding ways to improve next year. So if you want boneheaded stuff, I mean, look at San Francisco versus Detroit. 24-7 at halftime, Detroit has the momentum. 49ers come back. 34-31, San Francisco going to the Super Bowl for the first time in five years. Jared Goff, 273, one score, no picks. David Montgomery, 93 yards. He led the team. He had a touchdown. Jameer Gibbs had a touchdown. And Jamison Williams also had a rushing score as well. Sam Laporta led the receiving with 97 yards. And Williams also had a touchdown. Brock Purdy, 267, one score, one pick. Christian McCaffrey, 90 yards, two scores. Eli Mitchell, he had a touchdown. Debo Samuel led the receiving with 89 yards. Brandon Ayuk had the touchdown. Detroit had better better yards. Both teams were kind of equal in passing. A tiny bit more in favor of Detroit. Both teams played excellent offense. Three punts combined. Only five penalties the entire game. A fumble for the Lions. A pick for the Niners. One of the big things, however, is fourth down. One for three on fourth down. This is where I think you're going to have to blame this on. Dan Campbell and his coaching philosophy. No doubt, it's it's that. He has been a gambler on fourth down, and that's been something that typically has worked in his favor. That is no joke. He has lived and died by the fourth down. And one of them was at least where they could have made a field goal. 
maybe the second one as well. But when you look at it all, you look at it completely. This is on Campbell. It is completely, completely on him. I don't think it's necessarily Jared, Jared Goff's fault that the team lost. He was told what to do, and it's not really a, not really him choking, but more just the incompetency of being where the lights are so much brighter and more of a catalyst as well of seeing that they went for on fourth down at points in the playoffs and having success with it, keep going with what you're doing. Now, as far as the San Francisco side goes, I mean, they didn't look that sharp in the first half. They got better. They made adjustments. They, they've they earned their right to be in the Super Bowl. A lot of people are looking to Brock Purdy as to hopefully being something like an Eli Manning when, when Eli himself took down New England twice within a four-year span. Let me tell you this. Purdy is not going to reach the levels of Manning. Whether or not he wins the Super Bowl, Manning's first Super Bowl against New England has a whole lot of meaning. Now, if San Francisco were to beat Kansas City, it would obviously be a big upset. But it would not reach the levels of what the Giants did in 07. You don't have what is basically the one of the greatest drives ever, one of the greatest catches, if not the greatest catch in Super Bowl history. A last-second touchdown or last-minute touchdown with 35 seconds left in the game. Michael Strahan and company getting to Tom Brady. Even with allowing Brady to throw a touchdown to Randy Moss with less than three minutes to go in the game. You you can't put it into words how amazing of a game that is. How amazing it was. How unbelievable it was. It's something you can't... It's, it's one of those games where it's like... It'll take many, many years for something like this to happen again. On account of New England being 18-0 and at the time. Trying to have the 19-0 and perfect season. It's not any... This Chiefs-Niner game is not even anywhere close to being special. It'll definitely be a good game, though. But I think people just want to look for a bad guy, and Mahomes is basically the new Brady in all this. While people are looking, like I said, to Purdy as being like Eli Manning. I saw a funny stat line. 31 touchdowns, I think, he threw for the year. They... Their first 30 touchdown guy since 01. Jeff Garcia. Which is hard to imagine. I want to look at that for a bit. 31. Crazy. I mean, that that's, that's really good. I want to see how many Jeff Garcia through because he did pretty well when he was in San Francisco. Four-time Pro Bowler, probably a lot of it. Oh, he actually got the Pro Bowl in Tampa Bay in 07. That's pretty good. Actually, two straight years of 30-plus touchdowns. 31 in 2000, 32 in 01. Seemed like he struggled in 2 and I'm going to guess he couldn't stay healthy towards the end in 3 Yeah, his numbers, his numbers in Tampa 
not phenomenal, but they're not that bad either. 4278. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Steve Young ever got to 4200. Montana Joe Montana obviously never made it to 4000. He came close a couple times, but edge it out by I think it was 2 yards. Holy moly. Uh, as far as predictions go, I'm just going to say probably 28-24 Kansas City. I, I think it'll be a great game, though. I'm just I'm just not sure if Purdy will get the jitters out and and be productive throughout the entire game. Got to play 60 minutes of football. I know the defenses will be up up to the test. I think both teams will need to run the ball hard. Go to Kelsey for the Chiefs. Debo, if he can stay healthy, he'll definitely be a big factor. McCaffrey will definitely be one of the biggest reasons if San Francisco were to win. This team has yet to win a Super Bowl since the 94 season. This team desperately needs one. As far as Kansas City goes, if they win their third, you're going to hear, I think, a lot more praise of what the Chiefs have done over the years and Mahomes probably being immortalized for the most part for what he has done over the course of the last six seasons. So, see where it goes. With the NBA, there's a lot going on. There's questions on playability, MVP status, and eligibility. And I think it's coming to a head for the most part. And what what I mean by that is that so there's a requirement to reach a certain number of games to be considered for postseason awards. And there's a number of players complaining complaining about the fact that if you don't hit the 65 game criteria you don't get any you don't get any thing like MVPs and all that the player of the year all all NBA and look and this is because of this is because Joel Embiid has missed a number of games so far this year and he came back and I think it was supposed to be like on the grounds of trying to make sure he can be considered MVP and all that and a torn meniscus so it sounds like his season's pretty much going to be ruined and yeah The problem, the the problem is, we're we're in this era now where these players are resting a ton more compared to where it was back in the day, when you saw players trying to go eighty-two games, play eighty-two games, start if you are start the full season. There's a reason why we we have streaks of consecutive starts. And I think it's become less of an importance now these days. And you see coaches resting players sometimes on primetime television or crowds being upset that their favorite player is is not playing. 65... Let's look at it. Eighty-two game season. What would be what would be twenty percent? 
that I actually want to look at for a moment. So, 65, so, no, 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 times, no, 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 65 divided by 0 point, yeah, it's like 20%, close to it. I mean, it's not like it's, how do I put it into words without be sounding that frustrated? I guess what I'm thinking at is they're trying to make it seem seem fair to give others a chance if they played more games and had more importance to their team compared to someone that played, say, 60 games. And this, I think this is more so on the players wanting to, to rest more. All this stuff about needing to rest, needing to be re-energized. You play basketball. You should maybe think about, instead of maybe partying or thinking of not healing yourself after the, or doing something after the game, maybe... You go to an ice tub, heal yourself for the night, put in a little bit of work, take some medicine, unless you have allergies, of course, or something where it could lead to allergic reactions, and try to rehabilitate yourself for the next game. I don't know, it's just... I think I think everything has to be tied to like these huge contracts and trying to be good with their money and have like a long lengthy career and all that but of course you got people like like Draymond Green slamming the rule and all that there's always going to be snubs it's not just the NBA there's always going to be a snub for who should have been rookie of the year, who should have been player of the year, especially with the MVP thing, always in favor of quarterbacks for the most part, for certain criterias of certain people for baseball in terms of like the Cy Young Award, Silver Slugger, Platinum Glove, and all that. I think it's because... Embiid got it last year, and at least I think he got it last year. Who was the 2023 MVP? Because I almost got it confused with Jokic. 2023 NBA MVP. Yeah, Embiid. Yep, got over Jokic. I don't know. I'd be curious to see how things go. See if any other complaints come up to the surface. Adam Silver typically is a player's commissioner, so I wouldn't be surprised if he tries changing things. But I think he's got to keep his foot down and be like, no, you guys have to try and at least play 80% of your season to be considered. If if I were him, if at the minimum, I would do 60 games at the minimum. But I don't think 65 is a bad thing either. I don't think 65 games is pushing too much. It's 20% roughly. There's no harm in it. I don't think. I just, it's, I, I got no more things to say on that. It's, have to see what develops as time goes on. Nothing too major with baseball. We're getting to that point where pitchers and catchers are going to report soon. But one of the bigger things going on is within the Baltimore 
Orioles organization. And it comes down to the Angelos family. And this is a family that's had the Orioles for the last 31 seasons. And their tenure since being owned by that family... The team, the team looked okay early on. They played pretty well, and then I would say following '97, that team just was never the same. So, in charge of the team was Peter Angelos. Now he is 94 years old. His son is in charge, John. And they're going to look to give it to David Rubenstein for 40% of $1.725 billion. Now to put that in perspective, they bought the team in 1993 for, I think, yeah, $173 million. You talk about profitability. It's unbelievable. So ownership will also include Cal Ripken Jr., obviously one of the, probably the most recognized face of Orioles baseball, and two others that will be on there. Grant Hill, NBA Hall of Famer, and Mike Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York City. So there's something about it involving Baltimore having a potential stadium nightmare, but supposedly they got it all done, and Camden Yards will still be the home of the Orioles until 2027. Who knows what will happen, but I read something along the lines of Baltimore having the third most valuable team ever in baseball behind, I think, was the Dodgers and the Mets. They were both over $2 billion. This is a team that is on the up and up. And the way Camden Yards has been over the years, it has been probably one of the most recognized and probably the biggest, one of the most popular ballparks in all of sports, Major League Baseball, because it focused on being a baseball park at a time when everybody was trying to do a football stadium and a baseball stadium and the way the Orioles led the way for teams having just one sport only park although you see every once in a while you'll see it with like Fenway Park Yankee Stadium they'll convert them into football football stadiums for something like a like a college football ball game at the end of the year Kind of interesting to see how things go down in Maryland and over in the D.C. area, considering what's going on with the Commanders. I think they just hired their uh, new coach, which is uh, Dan Quinn. That'll be interesting. Revitalize interest. I mean, in these sports, I mean, the the Ravens are still probably the biggest name, probably the biggest draw in terms of sports. You have the Nationals, which I don't know how they're going to fare this upcoming season. The Wizards, well, they have largely been an irrelevant franchise. They had a span at one point, some pretty decent teams, but they just couldn't get past the hump. 
Remember when they used to be called the Washington Bullets? I was too young. <laughs> I think I was like, I was like very young when they changed their name to the Wizards. <laughs> uh, but yeah, curious to see how things go with the Oriole organization. I have a feeling there's going to be a ton of change in. Who knows if any other families will will sell their stake in terms of of owning a team. Like, who knows if someone like, say, the Steinbrenners were to get rid of their stake in the Yankee organization or the Cohen guy for uh, the Mets. Moving lastly to gaming, there's not really anything too big to talk about. There was something I saw briefly, but it was on like a random website. Potentially a PS5 Pro. Supposedly, there might be one coming this year. Supposedly, as I said. And, yeah, I don't know what you can really say that can be done. So, a leak. I mean, this this seems like it happens a ton more with these, uh, with these things in the gaming industry, a lot more leaks on potential projects, stuff behind the scenes, and one or two other things, looking at an IGN thing where they're talking about the potential leak of another PlayStation handheld or another Vita. I don't know if that's the case, but according to not a lot to be said from the leaker, but last generation there was a couple instances of upgrades. You saw the PS4 get an upgrade with the PS4 Pro. There was different models of the Xbox One. Their Pro version was the Xbox One X, and that was pretty expensive, like 400 plus, 500 back around 2018, 2019. Now these days, I think you can get one for maybe $150, $200. Same thing with the PS4 uh, Pro. I know the Switch has uh, the OLED thing, which is kind of like a Pro I th- in some way. But for 350 I mean, if if there's ever a time to do a Pro, I mean, this this is now the time. Kind of curious to see when the PS4 Pro came out. I almost feel like it was around 2016. I didn't get my PS4 until a year after that, if that's the case. PS4 Pro. When did it come out? Uh, PS4 Pro. Pro release date. Yeah, 2016. $400 for it. Xbox One X release date. Okay, the following year, 2017. I thought it was like 2018 because I feel like I saw much more of the Xbox One X that year. 
in 18 than I did in 17, but... I mean, people do want to see a little more horsepower, a little more improvements to maybe graphics and whatnot for for uh, their consoles. I think I'd rather just stick to plain old stock. Although it would be cool to have have another another system, maybe like some of those smaller enhancements done to see how much better the graphic fidelity is. I don't know. Now, with it being Groundhog Day, how about Hedgehog Day? So, February 2nd, 1994, marked a pretty big game in the form of Sonic the Hedgehog 3. And this was a big game 30 years ago. It was yet again another Sega Genesis must-have at the time. And it was a big deal. It was a big deal. It advertised heavily, shown in you know magazines, commercials. It it was it was huge. And it was a game that kind of had a quick development as it was meant to be one big game back in 1993. And back in 2019, there was a, a leak. Not a, Actually, you know, I take that back. Not a leak. There was a release of a prototype that was that was from the start of yeah November 3rd 1993 and this was released in mid November 2019 and considering the amount of progress that needed to be done it's crazy to to think that within a 3 month span they managed to pull out all the punches, get part of the game released, and then in October of 94, put out Sonic and Knuckles, which was the second half of the game, and connect the two together for one big experience. Part of it was cartridge costs, these games were approaching anywhere from 50 to $70 on average. And Sonic 3 and later on Sonic and Knuckles would be on the higher end at $70. Especially at a time when you saw games with a decent amount of memory go for roughly... 60 give or take some instances where some of them cost like 80 90 1994 would also mark the year of virtual racing on the genesis and being the cost of a hundred dollars i mean that's that's not exactly pocket change for the mid 90s sonic 3 i mean is one of the greatest games of the Genesis, maybe of all time. It had a graphic overhaul. For the most part, it felt a lot more lively with its environments, the, the way the levels were were built around, the graphic power, the 3D special stage that was pretty impressive, the animations on the characters, the amount of color used throughout the game, the way the soundtrack was was done, just better compositions. That's not to say Sonic 1 and 2 were bad with their graphics and music, but it, it just 3 felt like a leap, a huge leap. And it, it's one of those reasons why, you know, it's great to live through a generation and see the amount of progress from the beginning of a console's life and see it you know, midway point and see in the final years if 
there's games that really, really harness the technology and the power of ancient hardware. And the the gameplay of, of Sonic 3, it you have Sonic and Tails, and Sonic uh, can do certain things uh, while collecting rings, hitting monitors, spin dashing. He has a shield attack that can shield him from certain damage. But you also have shields such as a water shield, a lightning shield, and a flame shield that will help you against certain parts of the environments. ton of water in the game, by the way, which is why you see something like the water shield protecting you against water. That might be my favorite power-up along with the lightning one with the ability to get rings that come magically towards you if you're in the vicinity. Uh, but probably the biggest game changer is Tails. With the ability to fly, it, it just makes exploring the game, which is six levels, feel like you're, you want to look everywhere. You want to explore. Although you do have to do it within the confines of a ten-minute time limit, which I'm sure some people, if they were to play it for the first time, they probably would wind up losing a couple lives because of because of the time constraints. <laughs> uh, pretty cool boss fights. Definitely can feel a little bloated, but it does it fair enough. It does it generally well. So, in the end, I mean, there isn't really a lot of negatives to the game. It's maybe just a couple chief spots. Some glitches when playing as Tails alone. But it definitely has lived on over the years. And one of the bigger things talking about is music. This is something that has been the debate for the course of the last 14, 15 years. And it all ties to whether or not musician Michael Jackson composed or not. And a couple of years ago, Brad Buxer, who... I gotta look up what his band was, but the band... Brad Buxer... I just want to see what what it was. He, I mean, he worked with he worked with Jackson quite a bit. I think it was called the Jetsons, like a Z in it. And one of their and one of their tunes would be the basis for one of the levels in the game. Talking about that, Jackson did work on it. There's multiple reasons as to why Jackson is not in it. One is the child molestation stuff in the summer of 93. The other, I think, has something to do with not liking the Genesis hardware, which I get it. It's music compositions is not always the greatest, and when not utilized property, properly, it sounds like crap. That can be said for any game console, any game cartridge system that doesn't know how to use the internal aspects properly. And with with him being gone the last 14 years, pa- passing away in 09, I'm not sure if we'll ever get the real truth at, at all. Uh, the prototype, the very early prototype actually had music that would later be used in a PC port that came out in 97. If I'm being honest, I actually like those I actually like those those tracks in the game when playing it on PC many years ago. And that's that's the way I remember playing Sonic and Knuckles, or at least playing the Sonic and Knuckles section 
over the years, and it got to the point where I just played pretty well and did a, did a really good job playing on on Windows at that time. It was actually it was like one of my go to games for for many years. It was like that game, Doom Two, and maybe one or two other games like Delta Force and Comanche Gold, uh, Need for Speed High Stakes. Been playing Sonic Three for for close to thirty years now. Played it on Genesis. Played it on on PS3 and 360. PS3 via the Sonic Ultimate Genesis Collection compilation. Played it on Sonic Origins. It's just it's a game I love a lot, and with the expanded technology that would come out later with Sonic and Knuckles, I mean it's one of the greatest experiences ever. And just the way you play as multiple characters, the way their gameplay is on each character, it just. I, I, this is probably my favorite Genesis game of all time. It, it seriously is. If you never played it, give it a go. If you've played it before, keep playing it. To me, it's probably the pinnacle of 16-bit games, Sega Genesis games, and just gaming in general. Not my number one of all time, but definitely up there. So I'll about end this here. As I said before, this podcast is on podcasters.spotify.com. You can also find us on Radio Public and Google Podcasts. So I don't download those places. Search for Geeks and Jacks. Plenty of content awaits. So that is episode 180 for this episode of Geeks and Jacks. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe. Stay protected. Take care of yourself. Take care everyone.